uh, go to the Jaipur Literary Festival. It is the most amazing literary event in the world. It creates a bookstore where people can come and hang out and make it an experience-based excursion. I do want to um, just commend yourself and Mark. I think this podcast is an absolute masterstroke. Booksellers Podcast. My name is Jay Chin Dusting and I own the Mary Martin Bookshops. And I'm Mark Rubo and I'm from Readings Bookshops in Melbourne. Mark, how are you? I'm very well, Jay. I've just come back from India, brought a little germ back with me, so I'm just recovering from that. But I, I went to the Jaipur Literary Festival. I don't know if any of our listeners have been, but it is the most amazing literary event in the world. Over 200,000 people come to it. Over five days, hundreds of authors from around the world. The audience is full of young people, ask amazing questions and engage in the best ways. And the authors are fantastic. And it was so exciting and energizing. I recommend any of our listeners, if you want to have a real blast and real see of what ideas and what books can do, uh, go to the Jaipur Literary Festival. It's on every February, runs for five days. It's organised by an Indian guy called Sanjay Roy, together with William Dalrymple. Many of our listeners know William Dalrymple, the historian. We've sold many of his books. He's got a new one coming out next year. So it, it's really fantastic. And I, I just, um, I heard some terrific authors, people I'd never really engaged with. But my favourite probably was Catherine Run- Rundle. I don't know if yes. you remember the book on, on um, John Donne, Super Infinite also author of a children's book, but she was delightful. She's a young academic, 37, just fantastic. Paul Lynch, the Booker Prize winner, was there. Peter Frankopan, the historian, was there. Mary Beard, uh, it just goes um, on and on. You just, and there's sessions. They have um, four venues and there's sessions every hour. Just amazing and, and really well run. So very energised coming back for it. What's so exciting about it is the the number of young Indians that come to it, you know, student, school students, university students, it's sort of very low cost, so they can afford to come. Uh, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was there, a man who's rather pleased with himself. Historian <laughs> Claire Wright was there. She's on a couple of panels. She was terrific. And Andy Lowenstein, whose book um, Scribe published the Palestine Laboratory, was there. Yeah, his um, session, he was like, treated like a rock star. Other thing that's amazing about this festival is the devotion and interest that the audience give to the authors. What about the book selling aspect of it, Mark? How do they handle the book selling aspect? The book selling is amazing. They they have a huge tent. It's run by um, an Indian chain called Crossword. It must have been 400 square meters full of books, full of people buying them. Books in India are very, very cheap. So, for example, Paul Lynch's book, the Booker Prize winner, which is um, you know, Profit Song, that's $33 here. In India, the retail price is around about $6 for exactly the same edition. The reason they have to do this, one of the reasons is piracy. So if, if they don't price them cheap, books will just be pirated. The other reason is, obviously, Indians' wages aren't as high, so books are are very, very cheap. I don't know how they managed to do that. Are they printed in India? A lot of them are printed in India, so I presume a lot of they are printed in India. Mm-hmm. And so printing costs are very cheap there. So people were buying lots and lots of books and lining up to get them signed. And uh, I met a very interesting um, independent bookseller in India, and I hope we're going to have him on, on our program. We're going to try and have some international booksellers, aren't we? Jay, just yeah, just see how things work in different parts of the world. So um, we'll do an interview with him shortly. We are going global. Mark, while you've been away, I don't know whether you've heard of the bit of uh, spotlight shone on one particular bookseller in Victoria, which was, of course, Suzanne, who owns Robinson's. Jay, you sent me a text about it while I was in India and alerted yeah. me to it. My initial reaction is, why on earth 
would she say something like that? Yeah. People are obviously entitled to their thoughts, but it was particularly polarizing and particularly inflammatory. My kindest take from what I think she was trying to say, that there is perhaps an overcorrection um, of publications which are leaning towards diversity and inclusion. And maybe that was what she was trying to say, but the way she said it was just difficult to uh, understand, really. Um, yes, it was sort of, a, and there was no nuance to it all. Unfortunately, to me, it showed an ignorance of, um, of the publishing industry. Publishing follows fads, and if one publisher does one book and, they, and their competitors see that successful, then they'll try and do that book. And, so, and suddenly you get a flurry of books on a certain topic coming out. It corrects itself in, in the long run. And um, I don't think any of us can... Um, personally, I think it's wonderful, the, the books by Indigenous writers coming out and, and those books that address difficult topics. You know, that's the beauty of independent booksellers is that we each have our own, own opinions yes. and our biases and tastes and preferences. And the books that we promote and champion will be the books that interest us and our staff. Yeah. And that's why I think it's really important to have independent booksellers because you do get that wow. wide range of books that are promoted. It's also great for publishers and authors to have champions. I think you've told me a couple of books that you've championed that probably sold one in readings. It just so. makes it personal and fun. It just adds to the fun when you champion something and the personal satisfaction of seeing a book that you like do well. It's Speaking of independent bookshops, Mark, as you know, while you were away, I had conversations with three booksellers. The first, her name is Sally. She's a co-owner at Bucocino in New South Wales. She, in fact, owns the bookshop with... Ray Bonner, who Ray's an American journalist. Spends half his time in Australia and half his time in New York. Let's have a listen. Hi Jay, thank you for having me. My name's Sally Tabner. I've been a bookseller for about 10 years and a bookstore owner for six of those 10 years. I came to own Bucatino through working for its original owners. So Margaret and Roger Hutchings founded Bucatino in Avalon on the northern beaches of Sydney in 1992. And they did so very strategically and in the purchase of the business we had access to their original archives of research into what made for a good bookstore what what they were looking for in a location they were looking for a village atmosphere they did some really interesting research into the demographics of Avalon how many people lived there what they what they were like as readers so it was a really well-established bookstore in 92. They'd travelled to America to look into bookstores that they liked there. It was, we believe, the first bookstore in Australia to begin serving coffee back in the 90s. You know, Avalon is a pretty sleepy little village even now in a very beautiful part of Sydney quite an affluent, well-read community. They had the New York Times every day. Yeah, they were quite bold in doing what they did and it was in the middle of the GFC and they were very successful and were there for 25 years under their ownership. So I came to Bucatino in about 2014 and for me it was an opportunity to do something that I thought I would really love, but to maintain a family commitment. So I was a mother with young children and um, I didn't want to go back to full-time work. So I took a part-time job in a bookstore and that, that is kind of the, the very first part of the story. I started working alongside Margaret and I loved um, what a bookstore is. I'd always been a customer, but you see it so differently when you're on the other side of the counter. I, I really enjoyed getting to know all of our customers. We had, at the time, we had Morris West around. Um, Bob Ellis was a daily customer. Lots of great people came through the door and, and you could have these wonderful, engaging conversations with interesting people. 
about books. I've been a voracious reader my whole life. I have never been focused on a career and I was a, a fairly young mother. So I'd done my university studies, which were mostly in, in the arts and in philosophy. And then I'd traveled a lot and then I'd had my children and stayed home with them. So it was something that I, I just fell in love with. Bucuccino was a fairly small, very family-run bookshop. In its original location, it was about 80, 85 square metres. That included the cafe? Yeah, it did have an outdoor sort of alfresco dining, which wouldn't have been part of that floor space. It was quite a small, very narrow shop. It had been very thoughtfully designed. It was a very immersive a real sanctuary from the busyness of the street. The lighting was very nicely designed and the whole thing was about slowing customers down in their journey through that space so that it invited people to really stop and look closely at the books and touch them and really engage with the shop. So when we bought it, and by we I mean myself and my business partner Raymond Bonner, who I met as a customer of Bucuccino's. On the day of the week that the settlement on the sale was going through, there was a flood in the old premises. I think it caused about $15,000 worth of damages. All of the carpet needed to be pulled up. And I remember actually that I was in there with one of my colleagues and Ray was in New York and I was pulling up this filthy carpet and just thinking like, my gosh, what have I done? And we went down the street to have a drink to try and buoy our spirits. And I looked across the road and the real estate agent was putting up a for lease sign on a building that was directly across the road from the um, premises at the time. And it was about twice the size. So we're now in about 180 square metres. It was a fairly new development. I called Ray in New York and I said, Ray, I think we need to move. I think I know where we need to move to. And so we did. We kind of made the decision there and then. It needed renovation, the old shop and the, the building in which it was. It wasn't, didn't give us that sense of confidence and that kind of long-term security to make that that um, big investment. Yeah, it was a great move. We made some changes to the business model. Well, it was on a month-to-month lease in the previous premises and we had had actually a very difficult time trying to negotiate a lease that suited us with the landlord there. So it was very fortuitous that that flood event happened. So we stayed in the original premises for about, about nine months while we did the renovations for the new shop. And then we carried all of the books across the street. We got all like community members and friends and and carted all of the books across the street. (laughs) Ray is a journalist. Ray's been many things in his life. He's a great marathon runner. He's a journalist. He's a lawyer. And he was a customer at Bucaccino for many years. So he and Margaret knew each other quite well. He holidays in Australia every summer with his Australian wife. He's a New Yorker through and through. Doesn't live in America. He lives in New York. He would like to tell you. (laughs) Margaret was going to close the business. She'd sort of been looking for a buyer, but it wasn't working out. I was really devastated by the idea that she might just close the doors. I'd fallen in love with it. So Ray had invited Margaret to a lunch at his house and she told him when she was at this lunch that she was going to, you know, close or sell the business and he said, well, I'll buy it then. She came back that afternoon and she said, I've found someone that I think might buy the shop and he's going to come and talk to you tomorrow before 12 o'clock noon and so the next day came around and it got to about eleven thirty. and she said oh you should call him you should call him and I said no no it's okay if he if he meant it he'll turn up and he did just before 12 o'clock and we went for a walk to the beach and we had a very brief conversation about what we both wanted and 
And so we bought it together. I really cared about it so much at that point that I wanted to invest in it. You know, he spends um, a significant portion of his year overseas. It worked well for both of us that we were both invested into it. So does Ray work in the shop at all? Ray does work in the shop, yeah. He's there almost every morning. We only allow him to make his own coffee. (laughs) 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 But he's a great presence within the community. It's a sleepy surfside village with a, a rambunctious New Yorker and everybody loves Ray. As a journalist, he'd won the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, it's been a good partnership. How does the coffee shop side of things work? So the coffee is is an important part of our business. We inherited a bookshop with a coffee shop, so we were always going to keep it. We made some changes so that it moved from the back of the shop to the front of the shop. It creates a bookstore where people can come and hang out and make it an experience-based excursion. It's a place to meet somebody to have coffee or tea or a glass of wine we're a licensed premises and we find that a lot of people they come and they'll spend happily an hour two hours sometimes three just hanging out there being exposed to the books meeting people it's very sociable atmosphere I think it provides an opportunity for people to linger in a space and to really use it. It's an interesting challenge to run a bookshop that is also a coffee shop. And I know that most people that do it keep them separate. Ours is completely interwoven. So the seating for the cafe is within the bookshop. It's not separate. Kind of inspiration for that came from our architect. Drew Heath was the architect. He's a residential architect. So in residential architecture, it has that wonderful homely feel. I think that Bucaccino has really benefited from feeling more like a residential than a commercial space. It feels like a home. And the time that I spent with Drew talking about how it might feel was very much that people would be in your home, which for most booksellers, your home is full of books and you are looking after your guests and um, and serving them, you know, food and tea and coffee and um, and they might at the same time be browsing your own bookshelves. So it has that homely feeling. What are the downsides? Sticky fingers touching the books? We don't have a problem with that, interestingly. We have a very respectful community and we also feel that the benefit of allowing people the freedoms and yeah in giving them the freedom to be there with the books that it it converts to sales really well so we're very welcoming of of little kids we don't impose many rules at all and having booksellers who are willing to become baristas teaching teaching people to make coffee is is straightforward and it it means that we have a good flow yeah my favorite at the moment is the postcard by Anne Barrest kind of this emerging genre I guess of auto fiction it's a novel that's very autobiographical that's also historical it's a fantastic story about generations of a Jewish family moving through Europe, Palestine, back to Europe, and then their experience of the Holocaust. It's impeccable writing. All her booksellers are baristas. <laughs> so, Mark, I've got no experience with running a bookshop and uh, a cafe. What is your experience? Oh, Jay, uh, we've had cafes in two of our bookshops, one in Ill-Fated Bookshop in Port Melbourne, which was probably 25 years ago. We didn't run that. That was sublet. And it was a distinct area. That worked really well. It gave the place a really nice feel. So I think, you know, cafes can add a lot to the atmosphere. They're hard to run in Hawthorne. Opened our own cafe there. Running your own cafe, we found very difficult. Staffing was the hardest thing because you need different sets of skills to run a cafe, especially that produces food. 
it was an area of expertise we really we didn't have. Yeah, we, we had a lot of problems. In hindsight, perhaps the way that Bocchino has done it, because we made it as a separate area, and if perhaps we've kept it pretty simple with just some coffee and cakes, or you didn't need complex grease traps and all that sort of thing. So that would be my recommendation. It's interesting, uh, Glee Books in Sydney has, has undergone a huge renovation, I think moves to its new location this week and they're planning to have a cafe there so i hope desperately that they can make it successful it's worth considering because it does make your shop more of a destination because really what you want in a bookshop is to people to hang out have discussions and get a buzz going i really like my queen vic market setup as you know mark but the uh, the big benefit is of course directly opposite us is market espresso cafe we've just initiated a new book club which we're calling the breakfast book club oh would you like your crime with uh, coffee and croissants? The cafe has been kind enough to say, look, you know, that's terrific. You know, anytime you want a table, just tell us. Just tell us the day before. We'll put one aside for you. We'll give them the discount we give you, Jay, which is a trader's discount. Oh, that's true. Let's move on to our next guest today. I, I really enjoyed this next conversation that I had, Mark. It's with um, Dan at Roaring Stories. And he's only taken over Roaring Stories in the last, I think it was four or five years. But let's have a listen to what he's got to say. My name's Dan Jordan and I'm the co-owner of Roaring Stories in Balmain. So a little bit about the bookstore. It's been a bookstore in this location for just over 54 years. Formerly it was Bray's Books, operated by and owned by Philip and his family, Philip Bray, that had been servicing that Balmain community for over 50 years out of the same bookstore location, which is a bit of a rarity to consider there's one family owner of one single bookstore serving a community for that length of time. It certainly has an amazing heritage to it. We came to the business and we acquired the business about four years ago. And at that time, we went about making a number of changes. We could certainly see the value in the bookstore and obviously the heritage and particularly the value of the booksellers. There was a wonderful bookselling team that had been working in that store for a very long period of time. So there were some real positive things that we wanted to maintain. But we also saw there was opportunity to do some other things which we set about doing, and then we opened um, in October of 2019. So that entailed things like basically ripping the store right out and starting from scratch with a new store design and fit out. We also then made a, um, a switch on the brand, and that was done for a number of deliberate reasons. There's some pros and cons to taking that approach, but we're very mindful with the positive changes we thought we were going to bring to the business. Being a bit of an in-and-out career that I've had, more on the corporate side of the fence, but, um, but it does seem to get its hooks into you. So I must say it's an industry while I've been out of it for certain periods of time, it certainly seems to have a way of bringing me back in. My first exposure to the book industry was as a very young 15-year-old and it was basically working in a, a book chain that many of the listeners may not remember in Sydney called Graham's. And they were a bit of a, I guess, a CBD institution in Sydney, they had three bookstores in the city at the time. I'm going back a long time ago, sort of back mid-80s. And that was kind of where my eyes were opened to the world of books and then, I guess, to, to book retailing, book selling and the broader book industry. And I, I must say, at a, at a very young age, I do feel I learned more in a couple of years working uh, in that bookstore than I even did through a lot of my schooling and academic career. But um, it was really valuable. And I guess that's really what sort of put the first sort of hooks into me in terms of the book industry. And then from there, I've kind of worked, I guess, on the retail and the publishing side of the fence, again, in and out of the book industry. And I also spent um, a fair bit of time uh, over at the ABC working for the commercial arm, which while was not directly linked to the book industry per se, it still was very much ensconced in retail franchising, uh, the ABC shop chain, and also consumer publishing, sort of those elements of that business were sort of intrinsically linked and learned a lot about um, retailing and particularly retail operations in that retail business, which was a formidable business back in its day. The ABC shop chain was um, run by an incredible man, uh, Doug Walker, who I learned an enormous amount from in retail in general. 
um, and really, I think, an unheralded retail leader in the industry and uh, ran a phenomenally successful business. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a wonderful time. From there, I had a little bit of time over uh, at Collins, which brought me down to Melbourne for about five years, which was a really interesting shift. And then came back to Sydney out of the book industry, doing consulting and, and other things not connected to the book industry at all. And was aiming to take a little bit of a break. And then um, I suddenly heard that there was this bookstore in Balmain up for sale. And one thing led to another, and, and here we are. Balmain is one of those unique locations in Australia. It has a lot of commonality, I guess, with other high street locations around the country. But Balmain is unique in other ways. Firstly, geographically, it's a peninsula. Uh, it doesn't have a big shopping centre on its doorstep. And the Balmain community is a, a very vibrant, well-read customer base that we just knew for a, a bookstore and with the kind of plans that we had in place. Really only a handful of locations that we would have considered if so kind of right time, right place, right opportunity, I guess. And uh, one thing led to another. I guess it was really building on the foundations that were already here. But I guess in terms of range, we were very focused on broadening the range. Um, and with that, we could certainly see there were certain customer segments that we felt were in the marketplace that maybe weren't being catered to, to its full potential, uh, particularly with a younger customer base, a younger reader that particularly is frequenting Balmain if they're not local residents they're certainly coming into Balmain on weekends so really trying to make I guess a bit of alignment between the range the look and the feel of the store the ambience within the store and then how we promote the business whether that be through content marketing and then linking into community and other ways particularly through the launch of the events program that we did sort of early on in the piece and they were you know real sort of key points of what we wanted to build into the business we're a small store Jay in terms of our our retail space we're about 95 square meters it's an old heritage building, and I'll touch a bit more on that at the moment because we had some fun and games with the building. It's built in the 1880s, so it's quite a challenging site, long and narrow. I guess from a from a functional point of view, we knew what we wanted to get out of that space, um, but we were very fortunate in working with a fantastic retail designer who could then really bring that to life and really get that aesthetic to the way that we wanted. And um, you know, we're pretty happy with the way that's worked out. All of our receiving uh, returns, uh, publisher meetings, etc the background of where I'm sitting and then the store itself flows through for a little courtyard gives us a really nice breezeway and then we're just smack bang in the middle of um, Darling Street in Balmain which is a really vibrant high street for those outside of um, Sydney that are listening. Furbishment itself was fine you know it's, it's a lot of work and energy and you know you're really waiting to make sure that the final result that you've been planning for comes to fruition and we were really pleased with the final result and the execution of that so so no questions there the challenge for us is more with the building in our early days so we were we just got our first Christmas under our belt and we were coming into the new year and early February and Sydney's sort of notorious for um, storms at that time of the year anyway the Sydney encountered one of those crazy big storms with deluge of, of rain and the building was smashed to the point that our entire store was flooded and the entire fit out was wiped out. So within about a four month window, we were faced with the prospect of a brand new, beautiful store pretty much wiped out. And um, that was a really challenging time for us. We had to take stock and work out what are we going to do? And we really didn't have any choice. What we had to do was basically get back on the horse and fix things. But that was being in a very old building that had a lot of challenges and limitations, not only in terms of the actual fit out itself that we were able to work through, but it was more to do with the building itself. Uh, the building sustained some significant damage and that took around three months just to um, get the moisture out of the building before we could even entertain the thought of refit. But we did that. We worked to a really tight program. We were back in the store with a brand new fit out once more. It took about five months in total. So we were back reopened and then COVID basically came on top of that. So it was our first 12 months was uh, an extraordinary baptism in fire. It was, uh, it was amazing. Look, I think, I don't know if I necessarily look at it as silver lining, but an observation that I found really interesting is for, for anybody that's gone through any kind of brand change in a business, no matter how good the new things are, um, you know, certain people are going to be uncomfortable with a change, such as a brand and change of store, even though we keep you know, the staff and other elements of the business. So it was kind of interesting when we reopened how instantly people were identifying us, not as the former brand name, but very much saw it as Roaring Stories. It was kind of an interesting sort of adjustment, I think, for the community where, you know, all of a sudden there'd been a bookstore there for 50 something years and suddenly there wasn't. Yeah, the community support that we generated 
not intentionally on the back of that, but certainly that came our way. And then through COVID was really gratifying and, and really uplifting, kind of gave us a lot, uh, a lot of things to spur us on and make sure we were focused on reopening as soon as we could. I think reflecting in the first few years, probably the one thing that really stands out to me is just the point of sale system and really maybe biting the bullet a little earlier and changing our point of sale vendor while we were running with a good POS vendor itself, it really had its limitations from a digital and e-commerce point of view and was a bit of a, a sand in our saddlebag. So on reflection, there were certain things that we were really looking to implement in our first 12 to 18 months that uh, took a little longer. I'm, I'm a reader. Yes, I am. I think I'm a slower reader than the majority of our staff, but I mean, thankfully, We've got people that are not just booksellers, but are absolutely passionate about what they read. And I find it constantly fascinating as to what really strikes a nerve with a, a really blended mix of people. You know, we've got people from very different backgrounds and interests and ages, and it's, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, we've, got a, we've got such a great group of uh, booksellers, and I love hearing from them what's rocking their boat. And that very much feeds into what we range and what we sell and what we promote in the store. So, so my question to you is twofold. What was the best-selling book at Roaring Stories last year? And what are you personally currently reading that you're really enjoying? So our bestseller for 23 was uh, Richard Flanagan's Question 7. Oh, um, my God, I love it. Have you read it? I haven't. I feel like I must be the only person in Australia that has. And uh, it was on my book-selling read over a very short holiday uh, a couple of weeks ago, which I did not get to. So it, it's still on my to-read. But I can't wait. It's And it's a book I really, I'm really wanting to savour. It's... Um, something that I'm really looking forward to. In the 20 minutes I've spoken to you, I feel it is a book that would appeal to you greatly. Well, I was having a, a really interesting um, lunch with a whole bunch of people in the industry just before Christmas. And um, yeah, one of the people at the table was sort of just recounting how much, you know, they love that book and, and they're a big reader. And, um, you know, any Richard Flanagan book is very special, of course, but uh, it's been really interesting how this one has really struck a nerve. I think, you know, obviously with readers broadly, obviously it's sold extraordinarily well for the trade, but it's amazing how much customer feedback we receive on that book in the store, which is which is a lovely, a lovely thing. What I'm reading at the moment is uh, it's a book that is published in March. Uh, it's a Faber title, How to Win an Information War, The Propagandist Who Outwitted Hitler. It's by the um, British journalist and academic Peter Omaradsev. And it's, um, I've just about finished it, but it's an extraordinary book, true story of a forgotten World War II propagandist, um, Sefton Dilmer, and kind of what we can learn from him today. So it's very much looking at Dilmer and his influence as a, uh, a British-born journalist who had extraordinary access to the Third Reich, but then the story of propaganda and how he outwitted Hitler uh, working for MI5. But the journalist also very cleverly interweaves that with what's going on, for example, at the moment in uh, Russia with the Ukraine war and uh, back in the US as well. And it's an extraordinary work and uh, it's something that we're going to, to back really heavily next month. It's a very, very special book and uh, I'm sure it's going to do really well. Brilliant. I'll, uh, I'll write a little review when we bring it in and I'll say... Recommended by my very good friend. <laughs> Wonderful, Jay. <laughs> so thanks for that little freebie. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> okay, is there anything you'd like to say to the uh, bookselling community at large or in fact to the person who's listening in who is thinking of buying a book? The, the one thing I would say is I think we're collectively all very fortunate to work in, I think, what is a really special industry. Whilst it certainly has its challenges that we all experience on a day-to-day -day basis in running our businesses, in a market in Australia, um, yeah, I think we're, we're very fortunate and very lucky in what we do. There is one final thing, and I, I do want to um, just commend yourself and Mark. I think this podcast is an absolute masterstroke. It's really enjoyable listening, and it's wonderful as a bookseller to hear uh, other booksellers discussing matters that are, that are close to our heart and affect our day-to-day -day operations of our business. And uh, I think the guests that you've, you've chosen on both sides of the fence, on, on bookstore, retailing as well as on the publishing side of the fence has been fantastic so congratulations to you and mark it's uh it's a really wonderful enterprise thank you thank you we were certainly having a, a very good time with it fantastic it shows well there you go mark what did you think well i was pretty taken by his um very flattering comments about our podcast jay um 
you especially and I do put some effort and time and thought into it. And it's nice to, to hear that it's appreciated. I appreciate Dan's comments very much. Yeah. Mark, so now we have heard from two people, Sally from Bucatino and Dan from Roaring Stories, both in New South Wales, both who in fact encountered disasters very early on in their buying of the bookshop. Both happens to be floods. One had to move the premise from the original place that she bought it to another premise. And uh, Dan, of course, had to re-renovate all over again and postpone the opening of the bookshop. So uh, fortunately for me, Touchwood, aside from some sewerage overflow problems in the Port Melbourne shop, which we're dealing with, I've not actually had to experience that sort of massive disasters. How would you deal with something like that? Look, it must be terribly, terribly difficult and um, disheartening. I mean, I've got great admiration for both Roaring Stories and Bucacino that they sort of persevered and overcome that kind of thing. So in your eight shops, in your in your 35 years of book selling, you've not had, you've not walked into the shop and suddenly, you know, walk into water or anything like that? No, uh, Hawthorne, we once, Hawthorne's a low-lying, we once had a, a flood that came in the door, but we managed to get rid of that. My biggest disaster actually is, Jay, as you probably know, I started a record record shop originally, and I remember coming in one morning, opening the door and looking around and said, there's nothing here. Oh, my God, theft. And uh, the night before, some people had cut over the roof in the back room and come in and taken all the records from my record shop. That was, oh, my God. That was quite a shock. And also early on in your business, yeah? Very early on. Fortunately, I was insured, and I hope um, the other two were insured. But it was quite a shock. That, that's my worst, worst, yeah. uh, worst um, we, story. Um, I guess we've all had the sewerage issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you know, I'm in Malaysia at the moment. Um, you know, for because my mum's unwell, but I've had to leave Australia quite suddenly to be with my mum. And uh, the, of course, the day after I landed, sewerage problem. First, first text message from the oh, team. Oh no, it's interesting. Um, Something we haven't discussed is, and perhaps be good to explore, is, you know, if you buy an existing business, the way to get into bookselling is to buy, you know, a number of booksellers are coming up to retirement age and are probably thinking about their future. So there might be opportunities. And it's interesting how Dan, he bought um, what was Bray's Books, had been in Balmain for probably 40, 40 years or something, and he turned it into something else. And has obviously been successful. Yes. Um, and you've turned the Port Melbourne shop into something else. When you bought Mary Martins, did you think, did you make any big changes or? When I bought the first shop, not at all, actually. Um, right. Because when I bought the first shop, it was with the intention, I, mean, I was still a professor at that time, and it was run by the current team I've got now. What we did do was do a rebrand. Now I got someone in and we now have standard colours and we've got a logo we renovated the place. We decided that the biggest spend was going to be around the counter because we wanted that to be to you know to be the warm side of the shop. Aside from really freshening the place up, you know, it cost me several hundred thousand actually, Mark. Um, as you know, right. these things are not cheap. But we the the brief was very much we want people to walk in and suddenly think, oh, they've had a freshen up, but not for the shop to be different because it was really doing quite well in its own right. When I bought the second one, which was Port Melbourne from you know the three four ladies they were selling a business that was losing money um, so I really bought not the business but the shelves and the, the fittings and all that and, and yeah, yeah. it just made life a lot easier for me not to have to refit which uh, and I like the floors of that particular shop that we've got so a minimal spend there because I didn't really need the expertise or anything else and of course the one at, at the Queen Victoria market is I, I didn't buy an existing business I, and with the experience I've got now, I don't know that I'd buy an existing business unless it was really going for a low cost. Right. Well, that's an interesting. Um, maybe maybe we should get a do a proper session on this one day. For... Yes. Yes, indeed. Hmm. Let's move on to our third interview. Um, Mark, uh, you you will remember you got Bookseller of the Year last year, uh, and I managed to pin down Bronwyn, who was your co-Bookseller of the Year last year. Yes, Kangaroo, quite a remarkable woman and a remarkable bookseller and a remarkable bookshop because it's uh, 
It's a bookshop in Northern Territory, um, in Alice Springs itself, but I think it's the only indie bookshop for I don't know how many hundred thousand kilometers around her. So really quite isolated from that point of view from other bookshops and she really has to um, look after the reading needs of a wide, wide, wide part of the country, but sparsely populated. You know? So let's have a listen. and I manage the bookshop Red Kangaroo Books, Alice Springs, Mabantua, in, in the Northern Territory. It's a bit of a story behind who owns the bookstore. It's a family-owned business. My parents came up to Alice Springs quite a few years ago now after they'd been overseas for a very long time. My father had a job at the local television company and he retired and he thought, what am I going to do next? So there was a bookshop for sale and he bought it. And my brother-in-law initially managed the bookstore for a few years. And then my father worked in the bookstore for a couple of years. And then I had my second child. And then he asked me, would you like to work in the bookstore for like half a day or one day so I can do some admin? And then it kind of progressed from there. And now I'm in charge. I'm the boss. And my parents are both retired living on the limestone coast. So, yeah. So I, when I first came into the bookstore, and I think this is like for people who've never been in retail, I, I never touched an FBOS machine. I'd never done front-facing jobs. So it was a little bit scary for me and not knowing who was going to walk through the front door, all those things that you worry about when you first start a retail business. But it's actually really enjoyable. It was an existing bookstore owned by a gentleman called David Boone. And he sort of had a very, he never changed his collection of books. He always bought the same thing. And he, he did sort of settler history books and Indigenous books. And at the time, there probably wasn't as many books written by First Nation authors as there is now where it's sort of exploded, which is fantastic. So it's changed and morphed into something different so I would say we're more mainstream than specialist, but we still specialize in local authors, particularly in regional authors. And because we live in a place where Aboriginal culture is still really vibrant and you go outside the store and you hear all the different languages spoken from all around Central Australia. So I guess we promote and amplify First Nation voices. That's sort of one of our core business if there's new books coming out by First Nation authors, I'm more likely to buy them. That's where what we concentrate on. It's been great. I feel well supported by the community and even visitors coming to town. They love coming into the bookstore and seeing the wide selection of books that might be a little bit different from elsewhere. I think it was called Big Kangaroo Books. My father changed it to Red Kangaroo Books. So I can't take all the glory about buying the bookstore and starting the business off, okay? We're right in the Todd Mall. So the Todd Mall is a street where there's no cars. It's where they have the Sunday markets, where they do all the festivals, where sort of town celebrations happen. So it's a lovely spot and we've moved right next door to the visitor centre. So we're hoping they'll, they'll send people our way. So let's go into the move. For the benefit of the people listening, Bronwyn is right in the middle of the move as we're doing this interview. And um, we're very grateful to her for giving us the time during what is usually a very stressful time for us, moving from one shop to the other. So what inspired the move, Bronwyn? We've been thinking about it for quite a few years and we've always wanted to have a slightly bigger space. It is also a business decision that we made. We had a wonderful landlord at our old space. It was only 96 square metres. It had a small collection of books. I guess it fitted in nicely in there, but as we've expanded, it's got smaller and smaller and there's just piles of books everywhere. And I think we also wanted to open up the space for people in the community to hold events and me not having to move all the bookcases all the time and all that extra work 
that you have to do. Yeah, so uh, I think there's about 140 square meters where we are now. So it's not like we've moved into a much double the size. We're incrementally <laughs> increasing the size. Yeah, and it just gives us an opportunity to try some different things. Like if we want to have a poetry reading one night. We've got a space we can use now because we've got a mezzanine in the building, um, in the in the space that we have. So we're going to keep that free for other items. It used to be an art gallery, so it's got really high ceilings. We could possibly showcase some paintings from an art centre. So there's opportunities for us to try different things. Yeah, we're excited about that. Well, we've actually got a really small team. So there's me. There's Louise Omer, who works for us part-time, and she's also an author. She came up to Alice Springs about a year, no, a bit more than a year ago, and she's written the book Holy Woman. So she's from Adelaide, and she's been a really great asset to the team. I have a person who lives in Darwin who writes our our newsletter, so that's Bernadette, and um, she used to work in the bookstore, and... I kept her on writing our weekly newsletter for us because she's worked in the bookstore. She She's really invested in what we do. It was just great having someone just doing that regularly for us and I don't have to worry about it. And we have another person who comes in and helps us with, you know, when the, when the stock comes in and they come in every afternoon and do the stickering and the counting and checking everything. So they're sort of the main people. And then we have a couple of casuals who come in at the weekend. So it really is a bit up and down depending on sales, I guess, with yes. staff. My understanding is it is um, pride in being the the one bookshop which covers the biggest square kilometres. And, and the sparsest population too. <laughs> so can you can you give me those stats? What are the stats again? I think it's about 26,000 in town, possibly 23 at the moment. And then we do get orders from schools and communities who might be even like 800, 1,000 kilometres away. Um, We do get orders interstate for people who are looking for particular books. But, I mean, our core business is the bricks and mortar shop, people just walking in and visiting our store and regular customers, local customers and visitors. I'd say that, our, you know, with COVID, so things changed. We didn't have any visitors for two or three years. So I think since then it's flipped. It's like our core client base is local, not so much visitors these days because we haven't had many visitors. It's only in the last year or so that we've started to see a trickle of, of visitors come to Alice Springs. But, yeah, we wouldn't be here if we didn't have our local customers. Interestingly enough, I think our non-fiction section is our best-selling section, but we do have a lot of young parents in town with young children who come in and buy books. And that's an area probably we want to develop a bit more. First Nations kids' books sell really well. We sell a lot of Australian children's books as well. Probably our weakest area is young adults' fiction, an area that we really need to start promoting possibly on TikTok. So we're working on it. Pretty active on Instagram and Facebook. I do have a TikTok account. I just haven't gone near it yet. But it's I think it I think social media is great just to remind people that you're here. Well, I felt really isolated up until we went to the booksellers conference. So me and Bernadette were starry-eyed and super keen when we came. <laughs> we so loved it. The award last year was your very first time at the book conference, was it? Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, we'd never been before. Yeah, yeah. So we were, we were like, we loved it. We thought it was great. It was great meeting because we don't get reps coming to visit us. We don't because we're only one. I'm only one bookshop in the middle of Australia. Do you get telephone Yeah, I do talk to them, but I'm quite happy just to get emails as well and have time to look at them. I think the book people also send a lot of new titles through on their book buying group which is really helpful yeah if I have any questions I just generally email because you know, time is tight and I think I prefer face-to-face I prefer talking to people face-to-face than on the phone too sure. so going to the booksellers conference was really nice meeting other booksellers 
picking their brains and yeah talking to people and saying sort of getting a feel like oh we're all going through the same thing and that was really nice yeah and I, I do contact Anna up at the bookshop in Darwin we often chat because obviously they're in the Northern Territory and face the sort of similar challenges to us so it's really and and she's a very experienced business person so sometimes I'm going how do I deal with this situation that's happened and then she tells me as a business person how I should deal with a situation so it's always good to have a few people who are in the same business as you that you can chat to about problems or 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 even sharing good things too I feel sometimes like there's too many books being published and too much choice and it's hard to keep up all the time you've just got some new books in and then there's some more new books coming out it's a bit like a machine yeah yeah and I feel like all those books that came out in October they're still going which is great but yeah they don't I don't feel like they get enough time to for readers to discover them there's always new shiny things coming out but our bestsellers are books that have been in print for 10, 20 years, like A Town Like Alice by Neville Shoup, which has been around forever. Obviously, people buy it because they're in Alice Springs. But like Tracks by Robert Davidson is a very popular. And then we've got our local books as well, which keep selling. Even some self-published books are, are super popular in our store. Actually, have a little gold sticker on the back of our book, which says Red Kangaroo Books, and it's got the address and everything. So everybody's pretty happy with that. If you're looking to make lots of money, it's probably not the business to go into. But if you're looking for happiness and it aligns with you, it's perfect, yes. That's right, that's right. Mark, is that uh, your first virtual meeting of Bronwyn? It was. I, I'd sort of heard about her bookshop a little bit, but not a lot. Mm. And it was lovely to meet her at the um, Booksellers Conference last year. And great that she got the award because... I would imagine that running a bookshop in a remote place like Alice Springs would be very, very challenging. You know, admire people who do it. I have a wonderful young woman who works for me who her bookselling career started in a bookshop at Mount Isa. And the stories that she tells me about selling books in Mount Isa are quite hair-raising. And um, so I can imagine sort of there must be great challenges in Alice Springs. It must be very interesting too because she... Obviously, one of her specialties is books on Indigenous subjects and by Indigenous writers. So yeah. coming into contact with those people and serving that those kinds of customers must be really interesting. I'd love to talk to her yes. about that as well. Certainly, I will be seeking it out the next time I'm there. Yes, and I think, I mean, it's terrific, really, because you know, those communities, they're tough communities. They're not like, if you say, some, somewhere like Cairns, which is remote, or but have lots of wealthy tourists and you know, wealthy retiree, hats off to her to, to make it work. Hats off to her. And the other thing that she said, which surprised me, of course, was that the Book People Conference that she won the award in, that was her very first going to the conference. So, yeah, look out for her in Melbourne, uh, for those of you who are listening and coming to the uh, June conference, which is in Melbourne. Bronwyn, of course, was Bookseller of the Year uh, with Mark last year, but she is a newbie to the Book People conference community so it'd be great if uh, everyone just reached out and made her feel even more welcome what about the the moving aspect of it mark you've got a lot of experience with moving your bookshops when do you choose to do it if you were successful in a particular place why move that's a very good question the carlton shop has moved it's been in four locations is that for lease reasons or once it was for lease reasons the other times it was to go to a better space so the final, where we are now, if people are familiar with readings in Carlton, we moved there in 1998. We're in a smaller shop, probably 160 square metres. And where we are now is uh, 380 square metres. And I've been going to America quite a lot. So I've been seeing what would be happening in America where companies, shops like Borders have been opening up against independence. So I thought, it's probably going to happen to me one day and I need to have a bigger offering. That was why I moved there and it proved right I mean four years after we opened borders moved across the road that was well timed yeah so we've done all those moves I mean it's it's it sounds horrible but it sort of works out in the end our Hawthorne shop has moved it's in it's now in its third space 
Well, the first time we moved to, was to a bigger space because we'd done it at Carlton and been such a success. I thought I'd like to have a cafe. And, yeah. and so that's why so we moved to a much bigger space. And then we started to have lease problems. Unpleasant landlord. You know, we, we were in that shop for 20 years. I never met the man once. Hmm. The only relationship I ever had with him was for him to ask for, for more rent. Yeah. And for him to refuse to fix any problems. <laughs> yeah, so we moved that way for that reason. But I think, you know, as long as you plan it well, it's doable and it can bring great results. Yeah. But obviously the fit out and that kind of thing does investment. cost money. It's, it's an investment. Good. And so you have to make sure that you're going to get the return. What for... would be your top two practical tips for people who are moving from one premise to another? Do it yourself or get someone else to come in and do it or leave it all to your best manager? Well, the moving, you have to do yourself. Well, the packing up of the books. And the important thing is to work out where your sections are going to go and make sure you pack the books in alphabetical order and everything's clearly labelled. That's a, that's a given. But And so plan all that where stuff. So when you bring the stuff over, you know where it's going to go. The other thing is to really carefully calculate lineage and where where your sections are going to go so you know where to put things in my experience that always changes um, once you get you find oh jesus why did i put that there and but those are things you can tweak over time those are the t- two things i think are most important what have you been reading recently i've been consumed with um i'm judging a prize which is sort of good and bad um so i've been reading a lot of those books. I've, oh, it's the Age Book of the Year, which is the Melbourne newspaper. I have a, a fondness for this prize. It, it used to be a really important book prize in, in Melbourne. The Age stopped it a number of years ago and they've revived it and trying to get it going again. Uh, whether it'll get to the level of influence it used to have, I'm not sure. But um, So I'm doing the fiction section. One of the books I discovered in, in reading for this prize, a lot of them I'd read, so that made, was um, The Idealist by Nicholas Jost, which um, I absolutely loved. It's um, Giramondo. Nicholas Jost has been around for a long time, and it's a, it's a terrific novel set in um, East Timor around about just before uh, there was a referendum that was being held to see if they wanted independence from um, Indonesia. And the Indonesians were stirring up arming militias to try and intimidate people to vote to stay part of Indonesia. So it was a very torrid time. And, uh, Australia, as you may recall, after the vote where they did say they wanted to separate, Australia sent troops in to keep the peace. And So it's a, a novel about that time. Um, the protagonist is a, a military attaché who's sent in to do undercover work in East Timor to gauge what's happening. And I thought that was a great, great book. I was interested because it sort of, we started to sell quite a few copies just before Christmas. Right. And in fact, I think um, Giramondo sold out. So, so I've enjoyed that. And I, I've also, uh, I hadn't read The Bookbinder of Jericho by Pip Williams. In fact, I have to, have to admit that I hadn't read her first book, but she writes a great yarn. What I've, been reading recently, Mark. Is that, have you read the, the Charlotte Wood book? Yes, that was that's one of the books that I read. I've got mixed feelings about that. Uh, oh, I loved it. Did you? I liked it very much because I thought it was an unusual book in that it put it gives you a, a sense of peace reading it. You just it just gives you a bit of it's like it's like pulling a cone of silence around yourself and all this inner reflection and it's almost a tool mm. to get you into a, a safer, calmer space. I, I found it quite an interesting experience. No, I did like it. And it's sort of interesting to compare it to her other books because often she writes about these communities and this this one too is about a community. I've also read um, the new Alex Michaelides. So he wrote Silent Patient, which sold really well for us. uh, And he's just released this one called The Fury. I hadn't read Silent Patient, but I did pick this one up. And it starts off, I think people reading it need to understand that you, you could get irritated with the first couple of chapters, and I think that's deliberate. Um, but stick with it, because then it kind of morphs into a, almost an Agatha Christie, but darker Agatha Christie sort of uh, whodunit, about an island and a small cast of characters uh, within that island, and one dies, and then, you know, who does it? So it's very much like, and then there was one framework, morphed into a much darker, you know, psychological thriller in the style of J.P. Pomer. So it's like two or three different sort of genres within the crime genre in this book. It's, it's a good read. Good. And um, speaking of crime, I one of the other books I which I hadn't read before was Prima Facie. That's a very good cr- crime sort of thriller. On your recommendation. 
read the uh, Tony Birch Women and Children. Oh, good. And what did you think of that? I really liked it. I was quite surprised oh. because it's such such a such simple language. It's not too try hard. It's not too clever. It's not particularly literary. It's just very simple. But the story is so engaging. It reminded me of Jack Johnson, who is the you know lyricist and guitarist from Hawaii, who sings in such a such simple way and with such simple right. tunes. But you could listen to it forever. And it's yeah. a little bit like that for me with Tony Birch and this particular book. It's a very powerful book, really. My mum is really enjoying it. She loves it. Oh, she? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so good. she's she's well enough to read now? Uh, she was reading before she she had her little phone. Oh, right. and things. Right. So, so she's, yeah, she's she's all right. <laughs> oh, good. No, I think Tony's a great storyteller. And um, yeah. you think it's very simple, his writing, but it's not. It reads as though it's, it's simple. isn't it? It is There's different. a lot of lot of hard work and <laughs> skill going into it. Exactly. It's uh, it's sophisticated in its simplicity. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The other one I just wanted to mention is, in fact, uh, you know, when the, the selling happens and the reps come to you and they say, oh, Jay, you really need to, to stop this one because it's a debut or it's a local author. So you get a few of these books. And every time they, they do that, my heart sings a little bit because I feel I need to read, especially the Port Melbourne local authors. And there are quite a few yeah. of them. Anyway, this particular one is called The Concierge and it's a debut written by Abby Corson. Again, it's a cozy crime yeah. published by Ultimo. And I started reading it and oh, I loved it. It was, it was it's such a double relief to pick up a book that you really enjoy. What's it called, Jay? The Concierge. Co- the Concierge. It's in a hotel. Yeah, it's, it's set in a hotel. It's a uh, a murder happens, and uh, right. and basically the the concierge or concierge, <laughs> depending on yeah. which part of the world you come from, is accused of murder. To clear his name, he feels he's got to write the book. So it's in the voice of this person, basically. Mm. And uh, it's cute. It's really cute. Um, when I, when I was in in India, um, I went to a session by an author called Josephine Quinn who was talking about her book that isn't published yet, and it sounds fantastic. It's a history book. It's called How the World Made the West, and it's it's challenging the, the conception that Western society, Western civilization, is the great font of all mm. other civilizations. So it's very provocative because it's saying that the West can't say that it is the only civilization that in fact the west and western civilization was made by other civilizations yeah. outside she talks about the invention of the alphabet as we know it today which came from from egypt from levantine laborers who were working on the pyramids and they wanted to write home messages to their families and so they invented code that made words that they could carve on bits of stone and then send them to their families. And that's where the alphabet and writing came from. This book will be quite provocative. Um, Unfortunately, it's coming out in England um, next week. Bloomsbury won't have it here till um, June, which is a bit of a shame. I think it'll get a lot lot of publicity. Did you get the title of the book? It was called How the World Made the West by Josephine Quinn. So they're only getting a 1,000 copies in. So um... So readings is stripping them all up, are they? (laughs) I can take a bit of a pun. <laughs> Leave me at least uh, ten yeah. for each shop. Will that be all right? <laughs> yeah. You uh, you reminded me actually, Mark, when you were talking about quotes and stuff of um, a book that uh, I read recently, which is um, which was released in November of last year, which we've talked about in a way. I don't know whether you you ended up reaching it. It's by Rochelle Unrich about her mother Mira, who was a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, did you finish it in the end? I totally finished it because she, in fact, was one of my authors for my mystery nights. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, I started reading it and uh, I enjoyed it, you know, in the first mm. bit. Very much a story of survival, young woman, you know, yeah. nine months in internment, four different internment camps. But if you continue reading it, it then gets to, for me, quite spectacular because it tells a tale so that you're thinking, gosh, that's, that's a hell of a coincidence. And then there's another hell of a coincidence. And then there's another. And after a bit, you sort of think, gosh, the, the universe has her back, quite otherworldly sort of ways. And then there are little storylines to it where it actually dips into quite woo-woo stuff. Right. Which fascinates me. I mean, it was, I, of course, was uh, able to speak to Rochelle about, you know, things 
from the Holocaust right through to this. And I, I don't know about you, you know, white male Australian down to the earth <laughs> sort of thing. But <laughs> in Malaysia, we've got all sorts of things that we take for granted as as absolutely it's real. You know, you don't even argue. Um, yeah. There is other things happening. Uh, and yeah. she was talking about, you know, it was very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Right. So it's not so much a book of Holocaust, I just wanted to mention to the listeners. I mean, it is a book of survival, but it's more a book about um, family and, you know, love of a daughter for a mother. But also, it, you come away feeling that if you believe Judaism in this particular case, or you have faith, or you believe that uh, in positive thinking, that the happiness is near, so to speak, in, in, their, in their lingo, that, that almost always things will align to um, get you out of your... Doldrum. <laughs> your, yeah, it's, it's quite uplifting, mm. actually. A, a brilliant life. Right, that's right, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. Speak to you when you get back. Really? Bye. Yeah. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Booksellers Podcast. In lieu of subscriptions, we ask that you consider donating to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. Our fundraising page is fundraising.ilf.org.au forward slash the booksellers podcast you can find us on instagram at the booksellers podcast in and outro music was created gratis by cameron dusting please give this musician and author a follow on his instagram page at cam dusting